Hello everybody, this is Reverend Todd Sloggett. I've already got the Facebook on, I've already said hi to them. Now I'm uh, introducing this to the podcast platform. I am in the home office here at HMA headquarters on the third floor, downtown Sepulpa, Oklahoma. And I am getting ready to do podcast number 30, which is how to study the Bible. This is maybe going to come across a little different than you might expect just by hearing the title. But I've had lots of questions lately, uh, for months and months, actually a couple of years, about studying the Bible. And uh, I, I took several of them, put them together. I actually taught this online last week to a very small Sunday school class out of my home church. It's called the Life Class. It's uh, 18 and older, not married. And we had, uh, I don't know, eight or nine or ten people online there in a meeting that Brother Junior Smith put together for us, and I taught on how to study the Bible. I'm using that material here tonight. First of all, let me read uh, a few verses for you. 2 Timothy 3 and 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly, perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Hold on just a second. Turn my little heater off because I think you can hear that humming in the background there. First thing we have to understand as far as studying scripture is context is everything. Context is everything. Almost every time I see somebody misinterpreting scripture, studying scripture uh, amiss, having problems with understanding scripture, it has a lot to do with not keeping it in context. Many, many, many doctrines that are uh, spread and passed around regionally or uh, cultically or culturally or um, denominationally that that get off, uh, they're, they're used out of context. Context in the scripture is everything. Who is it to? Who said it? Uh, you know, you can go to the book of Job and take some things that Job or some of his friends said and just quote that, and it, it'll sound like it means something totally different than what the Bible is saying about it, unless you say, this was Job's friend saying this to Job, and then Job said this back, and then God came along and God said all of this. And a lot of times what God said refuted what Job said. Or what God said refuted what Job's friends said. So you can't just take what they said and say the Bible says this. The Bible says that in context. There are many, many ways to study the Bible accurately. And I've said this before. I doubt anyone who claims that an exact specific way to study the Bible is, quote, the right way or the only way. Anytime I hear somebody say, this is the right way to study the Bible, or this is the only way to study the Bible, um, 
that throws up a red flag for me almost immediately. There are many, many ways to study the Bible correctly. Uh, let me start here. When, whenever we at HMA have new converts, we generally adv advise them on several ways to read and study the Bible. Uh, mainly just trying to get scripture in them. Uh, mainly just trying to get them familiar with and interested in the Bible. Trying to get a set and certain amount of time in their regular routine where they spend time in scriptures and hoping that at least one or more of the styles that we introduce them to will work for them and they will continue therein. <clears throat> First, um, when we have a new convert, we always tell them this little system. It's not uh, exact, it's not perfect, but it seems to work very, very well. has worked very well for us for uh, about two and a half decades. It's, it's one of the ways that I got introduced to scriptures. We tell them to first read the Gospel of John. Just go to the book of John and read the Gospel of John. It, it is so Im uh, important to me that new converts read the Gospel of John. I actually have some little Gospels of John that uh, International Bible Association used to produce for us. We had boxes and boxes and boxes of them. I have given away thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of Gospels of John. The Gospel of John is so powerful to the lost. It is so powerful to the unchurched. It is so powerful to the new convert. It's the way it was written. So we start our new converts by asking them to read the Gospel of John. Then we ask them to start at the book of Matthew and read the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and read John again for the second time. Then we ask them to start back at Matthew and read the Gospels again and continue reading through the entire New Testament, stopping after Jude, only not reading the book of Revelation. So Matthew through Jude. Then we ask them to start at Genesis and read the entire Bible all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. And then to go back to Genesis and continue to read the Bible through over and over and over again for the rest of their life at whatever pace works for them. So, a new convert at HMA will be asked, read the book of John. Then read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again. Then read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John again. And then Acts, and then Romans, and then right on through. And then when you get to the end of Jude, stop before you read the book of Revelation. And then go to the beginning of the Bible at Genesis and read it all the way through. And then continue reading the Bible all the way through at the pace that you can. That's what we tell our new converts. That's what I did when I got saved 25 years ago. And, and that is something that has worked very, very well for us. In addition to reading the Bible through on a regular basis, we ask them to have a way to study and learn soundly the foundational Bible basics that are necessary to the Christian walk. As soon as they get a habit and a pattern of reading the Bible, the very next thing that we feel like is extremely important to somebody that's going to read and study the Bible and be a good godly Christian is to study the foundational principles of the Christian walk. In my opinion, this is something that is missed 
tremendously. I go in and out of the holiness movements, the Pentecostal movements, uh, Church of God, Assembly of God, Nazarene, Baptist, all kinds of different Christian denominations. And, and across the board, many, many Christians, they're taught how to be a good holiness person, or they're taught how to be a good Nazarene person, or they're taught to how to be a good Baptist person. They're taught the specifics in the beginning of what makes them and sets them apart from all the rest of the denominations. And then they get to where they've been, say, 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and they don't know the foundational basic principles of a Christian walk. And this is a huge problem. So as soon as we get them reading the Bible, we want them studying sound ways to, to get the foundational Bible basics of the Christian walk. Things like the absoluteness of Christ's sonship to Father God. The power of the blood of Calvary. The perfect plan of salvation. The surety for the individual. Biblical love. Uh, Christian selflessness. The creation principle of the two-sex society. The power and purpose of prayer. The stability of faith. Um, the purpose of the church, the purpose of faithful attendance to the church, the purpose of financial giving to grow the kingdom. All of these things I can point you to, you can point you to, hundreds of people that we all know that have been in church for a long, long, long periods of time, maybe are even ranked members in churches that don't know these things, don't know where the Bible talks about them, couldn't teach them to someone. That's a problem. We need to fix that. The way we fix that is we ourselves need to study these things. We ourselves need to teach these things. We ourselves need to teach converts how to study these things and how to teach these things. This can be done in many ways, of course, but we usually use the discipleship series that was developed in-house for us, by us, here at HMA, and we use uh, the booklet series that Pastor David Lamb wrote. Um, that that uh, our our associate pastor, Pastor James Burgess, was teaching um, the last couple of years, um, and and we distribute those booklets here through HMAMinistries.com, and uh, Pastor David Lamb distributes those booklets through his website. Too many times, people just take off into some random studies without having the basics in place, and it gives. No different outcome than if you take off doing anything else in the world without understanding the basic principles of what you're doing. We believe here at HMA that there is a beginning process for new converts, for young Christians, and any old Christian that hasn't done it correctly yet can start and go back through the basics and, and get a much, much greater foundation. It, it, it causes so many problems. I'll give you an example. I'm not picking on anyone. I don't know this person personally. And, and I'm not starting a, a fight with him or anything. But And you don't even know who I'm talking about, so it doesn't matter. But I get dozens and dozens of questions every day. Hundreds of questions every week. Emails, texts, voicemails, private messages. Asking me all kinds of financial questions, biblical questions, uh, addiction questions, doctrinal questions. And just this past week, I had somebody send me a, a message telling me that they were a new convert, had been saved for, I think, about a year. Wanted to know uh, what I thought about a particular author, and if I thought that author was good or bad, 
or, or, or not. And in the context of the, the message, the new convert told me that they know, they said, I know that, i got to remember which one it was now, um, who wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, I can't remember. Um, I just had a, a brain cloud right there. Anyway, um, the, 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 they called him the Prince of Preachers. He wrote Sinners, he, he preached Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Can't think of his name right now. I've got too many things going on in my head. Um, but is one of the, the, the greatest preachers of all time. I'll think of his name as I'm talking here. Um, probably ranked in in the top 25 men that preached the gospel message to the most lost people in in the in the history of mankind and this new convert wrote brother Mike and sister Sheila uh Shelton I just see right there that you're watching whichever one of you are watching remind me who wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? Which great godly pastor author was that? Somebody, somebody throw that, it's driving me crazy. Somebody throw that up on the screen right here. Um, anyway, this particular preacher, this particular pastor, one of the best known preachers in the history of mankind, uh, Jonathan Edwards, thank you. Uh, who was that? Uh, whole bunch of people threw that up there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Everybody put that in. I don't know why I couldn't remember that. Anyway, I believe with Jonathan Edwards, this new convert said that, that this particular preacher, um, that they knew that this was a, that that preacher was a wolf in sheep's clothing. So here we have this, this new convert, saved about a year, asking me, as, as somebody that they have confidence in, that they've just heard about, they don't know me and I don't know them, if this particular author, whoever this author was, was good to read or not, good or bad. And their comment was, because I know that Jonathan Edwards is a wolf in sheep's clothing. I believe it was Jonathan Edwards, they said. Um, somebody of that caliber. So I want to know if this other author is is also a wolf in sheep's clothing or not because I don't want to read something that I shouldn't be reading. And my, my first thought was, what are you people teaching? Who's, this, this new convert did not come up with that themselves. They did not read a sermon or a book by this great, incredible, godly preacher and, and figure out for themselves, mm, there's something wrong here. They were taught that. Somebody told them that. Some super righteous, holier-than-thou person taught this new convert, don't read these great preachers that are most amazing preachers of all time because there's something wrong with them. And, and, it, and it's obviously because there was some difference of something that that preacher said according to what this other person thought. So it, it is amazing to me that so many Christians, so many converts, so many Christians have been saved long, long time. So many preachers and teachers and deacons and all these others even don't have the Bible basics, don't study the Bible or don't study it well. And yet they, they come up with these random crazy other things going on. So we, we've got to teach people and we've got to ourselves to read the Bible correctly, study the Bible correctly. And if you want to 
study the Bible, study it initially to find out the foundational truths, the absoluteness of Christ's sonship to the Father God, the power of the blood of Calvary, the perfect plan of salvation, biblical love, biblical uh, Christian selflessness, the creation principles of the two-sex society, the, the power and purpose of prayer, the stability of faith, the purpose of the local church. All of these, figure these things out before you start teaching and figuring out all this other crazy random stuff that just doesn't have anything to do with anything a lot of times. Uh, from, from, from this point, once we've read the Bible in the ways that I've talked about reading it, once we've, we begin to study it for the correct reasons to get a foundation, after that it becomes sometimes a, a personal preference or style. And, and we've got to leave place for people to have their own style in some of these things. Um, some do really good slowing down and studying the Bible book by book or topic by topic. Normally when you find someone that is really good at methodically studying the Bible book by book or topic by topic, they are brilliant individuals. They are great teachers, great studiers. Uh, men like Brother Danny Taylor, men like... Uh, Brother Mike Shelton, who I think may even be watching or his wife is watching. Men like Brother Dallas Messer. Men like Brother David Lamb. They're the kind of guys that are great at, at studying the Bible in these large pieces. I am horrible at things like that. Studying the Bible book by book um, is, is not my thing. Not at all. Not even topic by topic. Um, my two favorite ways to study the Bible is number one is character studies, which are really, really good um, when using Life in the Spirit Bible. Life in the Spirit Bible is actually a study Bible that has character studies all through it. You'll be reading along four, five, six, seven, eight pages in the Bible, and then it'll just stop, and there'll be a whole page that'll be a, a, a quick little in-depth study of the the childhood of David, or the life of David, or the, the middle years of Ruth, or um, the, the life of Abraham, or the, the marriage situation of Ab Abraham and Sarai, uh, Abram and Sarai. Uh, it, it's just amazing. I love stuff like that. Then from then on, once you understand things about David and Saul and Paul and, and Peter and, 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 and Matthias and and, and Solomon, now as you're reading through the Bible and you come across these individuals, all of a sudden their life story, you can plug in what you know about them and it makes more sense. It's more personal and, and more details come, come to mind as you're doing that. Um, speaking of Bibles like Life in the Spirit Bible, um, many, many Bibles are out there that are very well set up specifically to help you study. If you're not a good studier, if you don't have a good study style, if you don't know where to start, if you don't like your study style, if you don't think you're doing very well, um, the, get a Bible that was put together to help you study. Uh, some of the the best known ones, maybe, maybe not so known ones, who knows, in, in certain circles, uh, the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Um, almost any holiness preacher that's older than me, if, they, if they're preaching out of a study Bible, it's probably a good chance it's the Thompson 
chain reference Bible, great, great Bible. Um, the aforementioned Life in the Spirit Bible is, is actually one they call the, the, the Holy Ghost Bible. It's the study Bible that, that, that is written and put together by men that believe the most about the Holy Ghost than any other, any other study Bible. So the gifts in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, those types of things are, are written more about in the, uh, in the extra notes in the Life in the Spirit Bible. Um, there's a Bible called the Jubilee Bible, which I adore. Very few people seem to know that much about the Jubilee Bible. Incredible, incredible study Bible. Great uh, ministry, ministry Bible, teaching Bible. There's a Bible out there called the Open Bible, who uh, used to be called the Women's Bible, because a lot of women teachers, women preachers, a lot of different uh, uh, people that were kind of higher up in the ranks that were ladies seemed to be drawn toward the Open Bible. My wife had one. I have one. It's just uh, the Open Bible is a great Bible. Um, um, but my all-time favorite way to study the Bible, I don't know anybody that does this, I don't even remember where I came up with this, but I love to pick a topic that I'm not fully understanding or a, a question that I have or a situation that I'm dealing with. And I, and I started the book of Matthew and I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I, I keep that topic or that question in, that f in the forefront of my mind as I read through the Gospels. And I'm trying to find where that topic or that question or that situation crosses the life of Christ. And then I make that my focal point of my study and I allow the scriptures to spread out about that topic from there. Most of my doctrines that I hold that some seem very troublesome to other people around me were, were attained in this manner. If, if I hold a particular doctrine, um, for example, my doctrine on drug addiction or my doctrine on adultery, divorce and second marriage, that is very different than the agreed upon doctrine of all the people that I fellowship it's because I studied it out for myself before I met all these people or before I knew that I was supposed to agree with all of these people. And I normally found my doctrine by reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and finding where that issue crossed the life of Christ and then making that my focal point and allowing my study to grow from there. It's my favorite way to try to come to the conclusion of a difficult question. To come to an answer of a difficult question. Um, so, if, if some of you know my doctrine um, on divorce and remarriage, it is, it is different, very different than most everybody that I fellowship, but it's because I found it studying it through the life of Christ. Uh, most of you heard me preaching and teaching and read books that I've written and things about drug addiction and, and selfishness and selflessness, and, and I formed my opinions and doctrines on those things by finding where it crossed the life of Christ. Now, for my real answer to how to study the Bible, I know some of you are watching this, some of you are listening to this, some of you are going to listen to this, and you're thinking, okay, Brother Slog is going to tell us how to, how to study the Bible. We're going to go A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, just down a list. Not so. I told you where to start, 
how to read the John, the Gospels, the New Testament, and the Old Testament, the whole Bible through, and then just to, to study foundational principles first and not try to get all these crazy deep things until you have your foundation. And if you don't know how to do that, you can do that through our booklets at hmaministries.com. Uh, discipleship 101, Discipleship 201, Heartbeat of God, Evangelism, right down through, I think there's eight or nine books in the series. I, I, I told you all of that, but now here's the real answer. The real answer to how to study the Bible. It's a two-word answer. How to study the Bible without bias. How do we study the Bible without bias? How to study the Bible correctly without bias? How to get the most out of Scripture the way it was intended for me without bias? I would have to say about 90% of the Christians that I've ever come in contact with study the Bible with a bias. They, they study the Bible as a Pentecostal. Or they study the Bible as a millennial. Or they study the Bible as a Republican. Or they study the Bible as a Midwesterner. Or they study the Bible as a Slogget. Or they study the Bible as a Smith. Or they study the, the Bible as a... Put your last name in there. Or, or they study the, the Bible as a, a descendant of so-and-so. Put your, put your grandpa's name or your daddy's name or whoever's name in there. These are biases. I know this may offend some of you. I hate that. I hate that. But I, I'm trying to help. Studying the Bible. I'm a Pentecostal. I don't study the Bible as a Pentecostal. And I know that bothers some people that are died in the wool Pentecostals. But the Bible wasn't written from a Pentecostal standpoint. Because three-fourths of it was written before Pentecost existed. The Bible wasn't written to the grandsons and granddaughters of great godly preachers. Because much of it was written to the lost. We cannot study the Bible with a bias and get everything we're supposed to get out of it. The worst bias of all is either when a preacher thinks of a good sermon idea and then tries to find scriptures to support it. Oh, that hurts just to say it because I've done that. I've begged forgiveness. I beg forgiveness again. Please, God, help me never do that again. To think of a great preaching idea and then go through the scriptures trying to find verses to support my idea. Or, maybe even worse, is when a person such as yourself, such as myself, reads through the scriptures and come across verses that you've often heard quoted, or even slightly misquoted, and then you instantly feel justified in what you were indoctrinated to believe because you, quote, found it in the Bible. I want you to think about that. One of the worst type of biases that happens 
in, in Bible study attempts or attempts to study the Bible is when you've been indoctrinated to believe certain things. You just accept it. You just believe it because the preacher told you to believe it or you believe it because everybody you know believes it or you believe it because that's your dad or your grandpa that told you to believe it or whatever. And you're just rocking along, reading a little verse here and there ever so often throughout your life. And all of a sudden you find the portion of scripture that was used to teach you that, and bam, now you feel justified that you've been believing that all along because you co-found it in the Bible. I'm going to try an example here, maybe a dangerous example, but I'm going to try it. We, where I come from, I know my, my audience is very broad, but where I come from, we're taught to not watch television. We're not only taught that, it's been commanded and demanded and, sh and, and told that it's commanded in the scriptures, okay? I, I, I've heard it from pulpits across coast to coast. And so have many of you that there is a command in scriptures. That's the way it's presented to us to not watch television. Which is odd that there would be a command in the scriptures to not watch television. Means no television wasn't invented for a couple thousand years after scripture was written. Nevertheless, what scriptures do you think are used, if any, to support the command to not watch television? Now, if you were raised holiness or Pentecostal or uh, Trinitarian Pentecostal or independent free holiness or whatever, I'm sure the scripture that popped right into your mind immediately when I say what scriptures are used uh, to not watch television is the scripture, set no unclean thing before thine eyes. That's always what's quoted. Set no unclean thing before thine eyes. And it's always quoted exactly like that. Set no unclean. The Bible says, set no unclean thing before thine eyes. Now, all of you people that that scripture popped into your head when I asked this question, can you now just as quickly or just as easily pop into your head where that is in the Bible? The verse jumped into your mind, but do you know where it is? Have you read it? Can you quote it? Can you teach it? Is it there? Not exactly. The, the scripture that's more or less being quoted is, is in Psalms 101, verse 3, or verse 4, verse 2, right in there. To the very beginning of Psalm 101. And, and, it, and it's David talking to God, and there's some parts in there where they, some commentaries say that God is talking to, and, and, and there, there's a little, some people have a misunderstanding. I, I just think it's just David singing a song to God. But it, it, it doesn't say, set no unclean things before thine eyes. Now don't jump off here and fall out with me just yet. Stay with me and let me make my point. It says that David sang unto God, I will set no unclean thing before mine eyes. It is not a command. It is a statement. It is a godly man expressing his godliness to his God. And it says, I will set no unclean thing. So if we're going to quote it, we need to quote it right. It does not say set no unclean thing before thine eyes. It says, I will set no unclean thing before mine eyes. So if you want to use that verse, no problem, but use it correctly. It's not a command, it's a statement. And most people that think they know that it says that have no idea where it says that. This is, a, this is a lack of training, a lack of teaching, a lack of Bible studying, which is exactly what we're talking about tonight.
Um, once again, context is everything. So, to finish that thought, should you be watching much television? Should you be watching any television? Should you be watching television? Not very much, I hope. Because of what the Bible says about wasting time and tempting your flesh and, and discipline. It, the Bible talks about these things in Proverbs and Romans and Hebrews and John and Ephesians and Colossians and Ecclesiastes and, and in Psalms. And, and this is my issue right here. If the Bible tells us plenty of things, plenty of things about how we're not supposed to waste time, um, about how we're supposed to not tempt our flesh, about all of these different things that the Bible teaches in so many Bibles, Proverbs, Romans, Hebrews, John, Ephesians, Colossians, so many scriptures. If we want to teach people and give them a strong understanding of avoiding all of this garbage that's on television, why aren't we using all these verses? Obviously, a lot of it probably has to do with you have to study them, and you have to take time to teach them, and you have to take the time to understand them. And you have, and, and a lot of churches and, and ministers, they're not taking time. They don't want to take the time. They don't feel like they have the time. Just give me a little snippet of something, and I'll just pound it into the people, and everybody do what you're told or else. That's not Bible study. That's not good Christian understanding. That's not discipleship of converts. What we need to do is take the time to study and take the time to teach. Okay? And, and if we do it this way, if we, if we teach against time wasting and we teach against tempting our flesh and we, we teach against the, the things that the Bible teaches, then it doesn't matter what comes along. Everybody's heard the argument, well, well you can't have television, but you have a, a, a smartphone. You can't watch TV, but you can watch YouTube. But you can't. The, those arguments are because the original foundations weren't taught correctly. Just grabbed this portion of the scripture, changed a word or two, and said, set no unclean thing before thine eyes. And called it a verse on television. It's not. It wasn't. But it would apply. But so would a whole bunch of other verses that we've never used. If we teach against the things the Bible teaches and preach against the things the Bible preaches against, then it's applicable across the board, and then there's not all this confusion. If in the beginning, instead of just saying, you're not allowed to have a television, the Bible says, if we would have said the Bible teaches against time-wasting and we quoted all the verses and the Bible teaches against set, uh, a setting unclean things before your eyes and we show what David was talking about when he sung that song unto God and we, we show where the Bible teaches against tempting our own flesh and, and, and then YouTube comes along, smartphones come along, the internet comes along. Everything, our doctrine is still the same. I'll give you a perfect example, another example. You know, I, I know dozens and dozens and dozens of preachers that preach against Facebook for the last three, four, five years, and then uh, the COVID-19 pandemic come along, and now they're all on Facebook. They shouldn't have been preaching against Facebook. They should have been, they should have been preaching against the things that the Bible are against. 
They should have been preaching against the, the, the scary things that comes with Facebook and the sins, preaching against lust and preaching against pride and preaching against time wasting and preaching against tempting our flesh. And, and the things that they could have got correctly when television came along would have still applied to Facebook, YouTube, uh, the internet, smartphones. Our teaching could have stayed the same. Now, let me tell you, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Point something out here. You got a whole bunch of young, very, very strict, over-the-top, radical young preachers coming along right now that follow to a T a lot of these other preachers that have been preaching against Facebook for years. And they hold those guys up almost just right, you know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and then this guy. And that guy has been preaching against Facebook for all these years. And now that guy's on Facebook has a Facebook page, is preaching on Facebook because of the pandemic. It, it, it made it necessary. Now you're going to have a bunch of young preachers all confused again because the man that they worshipped and followed and believed in said don't do it, so they're going around preaching not to do it, but now he's doing it. Now, <laughs> we've got to stop doing that. We've got to stop preaching and teaching against things. And we've got to preach and teach against sins. We've got to empower the people with deep enough biblical studies and biblical understandings that they themselves can choose Christ rightly in any circumstance that comes along, including circumstances that are going to come along in 2021, 2022, 2023 that we don't even know about yet. Instead of waiting for the next thing to come out and preaching against that thing, let's teach true depth and biblical study and biblical understanding. Let's, let's teach our converts and our people how to study the scriptures in context and continue to do so so that everything that comes along isn't an emergency. They know, they understand that this is tempting my flesh. This is wasting my time. This is trying to get, this is of, of the devil. This is, is a slippery slope. This is lastly the greatest way to study the Bible I believe is with the Bible. Yes, we read John and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the New Testament through Jude, all the things I talked about in the beginning and then the whole Bible. And then we have to study the foundational principles first and quit trying to teach or learn these crazy radical points of doctrine before we even have the right foundation. And we have books to help you with that at hmaministries.com if you want, or there's many other ways. And there's study Bibles, the Open Bible, the Jubilee Bible, the Chain Reference Bible, Life in the Spirit Bible. And then we need to study without bias so that we get the intent of the scripture before our little clicks came along. And then super, super, super important is studying the Bible with the Bible. I got all these books behind me, commentaries. I read commentaries. I love commentaries. I love parallel Bibles. All of that stuff is wonderful. That's great. But everyone says that the Bible is its greatest interpreter, and that's true. The Bible is its greatest interpreter. But then we rush out 
and try to interpret it with commentators and with denomination and movement think or um, without ever comparing itself to itself sorry I'm erasing some stuff off my screen here without ever comparing itself to itself this is the way I teach our converts at HMA if you have a verse and you believe you know what that verse means find several other verses in the Old Testament and several other verses in the New Testament that are similar to the topic of what that verse has is the topic of and and see if you understand what all of those mean and see if they all agree with that one if so if this topic is about the blood or sanctification or marriage or whatever and you think you know what it means, and then you find several other scriptures with the same topic in the Old Testament, several other scriptures with the same topic in the New Testament, and your understanding of all those scriptures pretty much agrees with this one, you're probably right. You're not guaranteed, but you're probably right. But if you think you know what this verse means, and you find some verses in the Old Testament or some verses in the New Testament that seem to disagree with this verse... You're either wrong about this verse, or you're wrong about the other verses, or you're wrong about all of it. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. The Bible was not written for you and me to take pieces of it and argue against each other with it. It doesn't do that. The only time the Bible contradicts itself is if you take it out of context. Remember, we talked about context is everything. People tell me all the time when I get in these little goofy debates, they say, well, the Bible says an eye for an eye in one place, and it says turn the other cheek in the other place. Sure it does. But that's not uh, uh, a, a, contradicting, a contradiction if you take it in context. When I was 22 years old, I was lost. And I was saying all kinds of things. And then at 27, I was saved and I said other things. And that's a progression of my life. And both things happened at different points in my life. That's similar to saying the eye for an eye in the Old Testament and, and uh, turning the other cheek in the New Testament. There was a huge thing that took place between those two that allowed those doctrines to change. It's not a contradiction. It's out of context. The Bible was not written to be used to combat itself. This is exactly why my doctrine on divorce and remarriage, adultery, dealing with addicts, several other things, are what they are. Because all I can do is give you scriptures in context. We miss so many simple opportunities to let the Bible interpret itself for us that we will never get it to interpret itself for us in the really difficult places. Not until we learn to let the Bible interpret itself. Listen, if you can learn to let the Bible interpret itself for you in simple instances, you will learn to let the Bible interpret itself for you in complicated instances. I'll give you, I'll give you one example here, and I'm almost done. Second uh, Corinthians 12 and 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, 
There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. This is Paul writing. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is, this is I, I don't understand this necessarily, why this is happening this way. Here's a place where many commentaries, many preachers, we hear it all the time, are guessing about something in Scripture. Paul said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. And people are guessing what the thorn is. Any guesses right now? Anybody want to guess? You would probably, if you've heard very much preaching on this or heard very much teaching on this or read very many commentaries on this, you probably guessed some of the more common ones. Um, he was blind. Many people say Paul was blind. That was his thorn in the flesh, was his eyesight being lost. And he prayed several times for God to heal his eyesight, and God never did, but God gave him this promise that his grace is sufficient. Or many people say it's a limp. He had some kind of limp because they say historically Paul walked with a staff in his old age. Um, had to have help sometimes, and so he had a, a weak leg or something, and he prayed, and it didn't happen. And God said, "My, my, I, I'm, 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 I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. We're trying to guess what the thorn in the flesh is, but let me read this sentence to you. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, comma." The messenger of Satan to buffet me, comma, lest I should be exalted above measure. I, I don't get it. What, what are we trying to guess? He said, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, comma. And then he said what it was. It was the messenger of Satan to buffet me, comma. And then he said, why? lest I should be exalted above measure. If, if, you, if you just know proper English, if you just took English in, in junior high or high school, you understand that these commas are this additional information in the middle of a sentence. And if that's true, if that additional information in the middle of the sentence is an answer to a question in the beginning of the sentence, then, then English rules of the English language would dictate to us that we could take out everything between the commas and then the sentence would still be whole and it would still make sense. So let's try that. It says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, comma, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, comma, lest I should be exalted above measure. Let's try it. Let's take out everything between the commas. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, lest I should be exalted above measure. That is still a whole sentence, and that still makes perfect sense. So that middle part is the answer to the question of the first part. There was given me a thorn in the flesh. Oh, before I go on, let me tell you what that thorn in the flesh was. The messenger of Satan was to buffet me. And then I'll go on with the rest of my thought, lest I should be exalted above measure. So the Bible tells us something that we're still busy trying to figure out. Everybody's trying to figure out, was Paul blind? Did Paul have a limp? Was, was it because of this? Did he have a speech impediment? I've heard that. What, the Bible says 
It says that was given me a thorn in the flesh. By the way, that thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan to buffet me. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? It was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Sounds to me like, and you can, if you want to argue an interpretation, argue an interpretation of what the Bible says. Don't just say blindness or limping or speech impediment. Don't make something up. Just talk about what's really there in context. What's a messenger of Satan to buffet me? Somebody say, well, that was the messenger buffeted him with blindness, or the messenger buffeted him with, all right, you can stretch those if you want to. That's fine. I won't argue that. Sounds to me like maybe he's explaining that he, he didn't want, the Lord didn't want him exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. He didn't want him getting high and haughty minded. He didn't want it all going to his head. So he, led, he left a, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. So perhaps instead of being proud and arrogant, going around thinking he's right all the time, he, he had something in his mind that was tormenting his mind at times or, or tempting his mind at times or, or whatever. But it is there. It's right there. So here is a place where we don't even let the Bible interpret itself in the same sentence. (laughs) If we're not going to let the Bible interpret itself in the same sentence, there's no way we're going to let the Bible interpret itself with other contexts in other chapters, in other books. But if we can train ourselves and teach ourselves to study the Bible correctly, study the Bible in context, then that will develop. Our minds will develop. Our understanding of Scripture will develop. There will be a sharpness. Give one last example, and I'll wrap this up. When I first got saved, I uh, was reading through the New Testament, reading through the Gospels, uh, found in one place in Matthew or Mark, uh, in there somewhere towards the beginning of the of the New Testament. There, I found a place where there was some references to John the Baptist being Elijah, and I decided that John the Baptist was John the Baptist was Elijah, and and that I figured this out all by myself, and that I picked this amazing nugget out of uh, Scripture, and I knew this now. Uh, better than almost anybody, not only been saved five or six or seven months, but somehow um, God had hidden this from all the preachers and ministers and Bible studiers and Christians for down through the ages, and now I have this thing that I need to go teach the churches that nobody else knows but me, and it was totally stupid and ridiculous, ignorant and shallow of me, but I believed it. I believe that John the Baptist was Elijah, and because of these references in, in the gospel, that I could teach that and I could prove that. And the problem with that is, in one of the other gospels, I think Luke or John maybe, a, a same or similar incident where it came up here, uh, it came up again, and they began to ask John the Baptist who he was, and somebody asked him if he was Elijah, And the Bible says that John the Baptist said, I am not Elijah. All I had to do was what I taught earlier, is take the same subject matter and find it in different places in Scripture and make sure it all agreed. But I didn't do that. And many times we don't do that because that's not the Bible study technique that we were taught. So, let me wrap this all up. How to study the Bible. 
Number one, you have to study it in context. Number two, we teach new converts and new Bible studiers to first read the Gospel of John, then read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again, then read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again, and keep going, Acts all the way through Jude, reading the whole New Testament, but stopping before Revelation, then going back and starting at Genesis and reading the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and then reading the Bible over and over and over and over again from that point, and not just reading it, but beginning to study, and study specifically to understand the Bible foundational basics necessary to the Christian walk, such as the absoluteness of Christ's sonship of the Father God, the power of the blood of Calvary, the perfect plan of salvation, the surety for the individual, biblical love, Christian selflessness, the creation principles of the two-sex society, the power and purpose of prayer, the stability of faith, power and purpose of the local church, the power and purpose of church, faithful church attendance, the purpose of financial giving and growth of the kingdom. Learn the Bible basics to a Christian walk before you start plugging in all these deep, crazy, long, drawn-out stuff. And before you teach people how to be a good Baptist, before you teach people how to be a good Nazarene, before you teach people how to be a good holiness person, before you do all of that, it, it's not going to do them any good if they don't understand the daily Christian walk, Bible basic foundational principles of what Christ was teaching in the Bible. So we get all of that. You get a good Bible, uh, a good study Bible if you want to, a Thompson Chain reference, a Life in the Spirit Bible, a Jubilee Bible, an open Bible, and then you study your Bible every day without bias. You cannot study the Bible with bias or you ruin your basic understanding. Can't study the Bible as a Pentecostal. You can't study the Bible as a millennial. You can't study the Bible as a Republican. You can't study the Bible as a Midwesterner. You can't study the Bible as a Sloggit. You can't study the Bible as a HMAite. You can't study the Bible as the grandson of great preacher so-and-so. You have to study the Bible without bias. Or we're not going to get it right. We're going to study the Bible in context, in context, in context. And we're first and foremost going to let the Bible interpret itself. Before we find out what I think, what you think, what he thinks, what he wrote, what he said, what my pastor said, what my preacher said, what the books that I like say, we let the Bible interpret itself. Praise God. That's it. Podcast number 30. How to study the Bible. Please pray for us. Pray for the Sloggets. Pray for HMA. I pray for all of you. Love you. Appreciate you. Appreciate all the wonderful comments. Appreciate all the giving and, and helping support us do the things that we do. And uh, stay in contact with us as best you can. Follow us everywhere you can here online. God bless each and every one of you.